Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in again today. Uh, you are currently watching the Skill Building Sunday Drawing Group here at the Reinventing the Tattoo channel. Um, and it is October 9th at 1 p.m. I am your host, Jason Leeser. And if this is working for you, please let us know in the comments and in the chats. And welcome to Guy Aitchison's Reinventing the Tattoo community where tattooers, apprentices, collectors, and the curious are encouraged to join in these live streams, real-world events, to share and inspire and ultimately create better art and tattoos together. We beam out nearly every day and with your help have evolved into a quality network of amazing live and on-demand tattoo and art shows that have all been receiving rave reviews. You can find Reinventing the Tattoo in many different places, including both app stores, the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store, you can find us on our YouTube channel or our Roku channel, where we're beaming out 12 to 15 shows at any given time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also find us at all the major podcast directories, including Apple and Spotify. But no matter where you are watching live or on demand, you can always get the latest and greatest at www.reinventingthetattoo.com. You can always try it out for free. Uh, we've got some sample webinars from the Reinventing the Tattoo Canon. We also have some free advice from Guy Aitchison about unique goals and uh, comprehensive tattoo history course from Jay Brown. You can also find the entire event schedule with a full weekly and special event live stream uh, calendar. Reinventing 24-7 is much like the Roku channel. It plays 13 channels, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you can always throw that on in the front of your studio or put it on to entertain your clients while they're getting tattooed. Reinventing the Tattoo also has a number of prof professional development courses available from over 20 world-class tattooers. Once again, if this is working for you, please let us know in the comments and in the chats. And hey, tag a friend who loves tattoos. Maybe it's a coworker, or maybe it's a cousin or an aunt someone that's interested in getting tattooed, or maybe it's someone that you know that's interested in becoming a tattoo artist. This is the place to go for that. So please tag them, share the feed, hit that like and subscribe button, and uh, let us know we're doing a good job. We have a number of weekly staple shows we always encourage people to tune into, starting on Sundays at 1 p.m. with me, Jason Leeser. And that's followed on Mondays with a whole host of shows, starting at 9 a.m. with Drawing for Tattooers with James Wisdom. Currently, we've been going over figure drawing as well as light and shadow, uh, contrast, and all different types of subject matter pertaining to drawing. Um, we regularly discuss basic drawing techniques and strategies to help all of us become better artists. Mondays at 11 a.m., we have the Tattoo Weekly Show, hosted by Lauren Gregory, Jake Meeks, and Gabe Ripley. Uh, some of those names may sound familiar to some of you. Jake Meeks is the host of the Fireside Tattoo Network. Gabe Ripley runs Tattoo Now. And Lauren Gregory is all over the place working in so many different aspects of the tattoo industry. It's ridiculous. She is definitely an authority on the subject matter. Uh, that's followed at 5 p.m. with Let's Talk About Feelings with Robbie Ripple, where we go through and we talk about our feelings and we talk about some of the things that maybe we're anxious about. It's one of the lesser known, but yet one of the most important topics of being a tattoo artist is how to manage our feelings. That's followed at 9 p.m. on Mondays with a subscriber-exclusive drawing group hosted by Sandy McAndrew. 
Um, and Guy Aitchison, he does jump in from time to time. Uh, and it's great. We go over and we do intensive lectures on different aspects of the Reinventing the Tattoo canon. Um, really excited to be a part of that. And I will tell you from personal experience, those Monday night classes alone are worth the price. Um, it It's completely changed the way that I draw things. It's completely changed the way that I'm looking at things. Um, and you can see a marked difference in the work that I was doing even a year and a half ago compared to what I'm doing today. So that alone is definitely worth it. Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m., we have another live drawing group, the Tuesday Fields Drawing Group with Ricardo Certivant, a very good friend of mine, incredibly talented artist, one hell of a tattooer as well. Um, I always like to jump in on that one with Ricardo and, you know, say hi and just jump in on topics if need be. Wednesdays at 1 p.m., we have the Tattoo Now Show where we go through and we discuss some of the business aspects behind tattooing. Uh, maybe it's marketing strategies, maybe it's branding, uh, maybe it's, you know, how, how do I go about and set myself up financially or legally to be secure? Um, all of that and more is discussed Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Thursdays at 6 p.m. We have the Tattoo Collecting 101 podcast hosted by, hosted by Fawn Baker and uh, Kyle Bernstein. And um, yeah. That's a great one. I still have to add that one into my own personal lineup of shows that I jump into, um, you know, if I'm not tattooing at the time. But I would like to go through and take a quick second to uh, thank some of our sponsors and some of the people that help make these shows happen. Starting off with Raw Pigments, an ink company that's tapping into the source, rawpigments.co. These are large flake powder-based pigments that are acrylic-free and vegan-friendly. I can tell you from personal experience, because I've been adding a lot of them into my own lineup, that they will saturate the skin faster than anything you have ever used in your life, which means your tattoos are going to heal better because you only have to go over them once. They're absolutely amazing. Highly recommend raw pigments at rawpigments.co. Next, we have worldtattooevents.com, the largest, most comprehensive resource for tattoo events worldwide. They're constantly keeping everything up to date as we are living in this post-pandemic world and we know that things are still getting rescheduled like crazy. The best way to stay up to date on the latest and greatest tattoo event information coming to a city or town near you or maybe it's coming to a city or town that you want to visit. You can always find the latest event information at worldtattooevents.com. Next, we have D-Lies Pro, also known as Dermalize in the rest of the world due to international copyright laws. Protect your art. If you're still using cling wrap to wrap your tattoos after they're done, it's probably time to step your game up. Uh, D-Lies Pro was designed by wound care specialists, specifically designed to help heal tattoos. Go through, do a quick Google search, read what it's about, take a look at D-Lies Pro. TattooNow.com, technology for tattooers, the leading edge in professional development, management, and digital tools for tattooers of all levels. They are constantly keeping everything upgraded and up to date to stay competitive with any type of CRM or software that's out there. Um, they have leading edge, cutting edge technology that's going to help you reach the clientele that you really want to reach. Take a look and reach out to TattooNow. 
And of course, this wouldn't be reinventing the tattoo with a, without a very personal and professional thank you from me to Guy Aitchison, who you can find at GuyAitchison.com. He is the founder and inspiration behind reinventing the tattoo. Go to GuyAitchison.com where you can pick up a copy of his Biomech Encyclopedia, some of his DVDs. He has some custom coil machines for sale, as well as original oil paintings and countless prints as well. All available at GuyAitchison.com. Would also like to go through and say a very quick thank you and shout out to two of our uh, Reinventing the Tattoo Network affiliates. Starting off with the Apprenticeship Diaries with Amy Nichols. If you know someone that's trying to get an apprenticeship or is wondering what an apprenticeship is like, take a look at the Tattoo Diaries. Um, great information there for people just getting started. As well, the Fireside Tattoo Network, um, hosted by Jake Meeks, as I mentioned earlier, where they won't teach you how to tattoo, but they may help you tattoo better. Um, their philosophy is they're trying to merge the world of fine art and tattooing, and uh, they've got a ton of absolutely wonderful information on that site as well. As always, we always ask that if you do enjoy today's show, please post a positive review and leave a comment on the channel and help us get the word out. Um, you know, tag some people in some of our past episodes. Um, you know, invite people to come and watch us live on Sundays. As well, I would like to say a quick mention. Um, next week, we will be broadcasting live from the Resurrection Island Tattoo Convention in Wheeling, West Virginia. Please stay tuned. Um, we will do some live convention coverage. We're going to be going through, we might do a little bit of live drawing and painting. We'll be, you know, if all goes well, we might have some, uh, spur of the moment interviews with a couple of big names in the tattoo industry. So stay tuned, catch us, make sure to catch us next Sunday at the Resurrection Island Tattoo Convention. Um, if you would like to host a Reinventing the Tattoo event, or maybe you want to become a sponsor in the Reinventing the Tattoo community, or maybe you're looking for a fine art or a tattoo critique. All of this and more is available. All you have to do is email us at management at reinventingthetattoo.com. And we're good. Well done, Jason. Well done. Yay. I did it. Yay. Here I am. <laughs> happy Sunday afternoon, Jason. There you are. Hey, James. Happy, happy. Always good to see you. Hey. Happy so, uh, Sunday. Jason, I'm going to just share this real quick, if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. This is where we're heading. Um, I will be there. James, if you want to jump on the bandwagon and you have the time, we're heading down on Friday. So we've got a lot of cool artists. I'm really excited to see you, Jason, because a lot of our interaction is over the phone or the computer. Oh, you just want to hang out with me because I'm a super rad dude. Guilty. Um, <laughs> and because I know how to throw one hell of a party. But that's yeah. neither here nor there. So we this keep is it about strictly professional all the time. I'm excited because Dennis um, is a really great guy. I've kind of met him a little bit over through reinventing, I suppose, and Antoine and some of them. Um, but he puts on the show, and uh, you've spoke so highly of it. I'm excited for the opportunity to be able to go. Amber. 
Yeah, I'm um I'm extremely picky with the shows and conventions that I go to and that I look at, and even more picky about the ones that I work. Um, I've run into several encounters and several issues before with different shows at different places where they tend to be very focused on one specific thing, um, whether it be, you know, photorealism or color realism or geometric work or like heavy black horror work. And that's cool. That's absolutely awesome that, you know, things are getting a little bit more focused now. But if you're a tattoo artist and that's not necessarily the style of work that you really enjoy doing, you might not have a very good time there and you might not come away with a positive experience. Um, I've worked at one or two shows like that where they were very much focused. And, um, you know, it, it really wasn't a very good experience because everyone was looking for one specific style of work. Um, it's one of the benefits or advantages, I guess, of maybe some of the larger shows out there. But I find that working at the smaller shows is a far more personal experience. It's a far more social experience. And that's why I was really intrigued with the Resurrection Island show. I heard great things about it. It's small by comparison to some of the bigger shows out there. And um, it's gotten great reviews from some of the artists that I talked to that have worked at it. They seem to have a great variety of talent there. So that's awesome, um, which means that they draw in a variety of different people from a variety of different crowds. So that's one of the reasons why I was really, really excited to uh, get, the, get the invitation to work at this show. Um, it should from be this one right here, Dennis? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah everything seems to be just catered to the experience catered to it's it's not about i don't know you can see what motivates dennis and he likes bringing people together and he likes everybody's always smiling the vibe is great um i'm so excited that this is happening this week and that's what you want to see at a show too happy faces happy people right um i'm personally really not oh oh I see a couple people I know in the crowd. Yep. Um, but you know, it's like you want to have a great positive experience. And sometimes you just don't get that if you go to these massive volume shows. So it's always something that I'm always interested in doing is working at some smaller shows that have a more personal feel. Also, on, on that topic of working at shows, and I have to quote uh, Yogurt from Spaceballs, merchandising, 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 right? Bring stuff with you for people to buy. Don't just show up and expect, you, expect people to start throwing money at you. No, bring, bring T-shirts, bring prints. I'm going to be bringing a lot of different prints. Um, so much so that I had to like reconfigure and redesign my booth layout and display. Um, so that no was no big deal, right, Jason? No, not at all. Ex extra sleep all week, right? Oh yeah, you know I've been sleeping, you know, wonderfully, getting you know at least eight hours a night every night for the past week. Absolutely. For those of you that might not be able to tell, that was extreme sarcasm. Um, I don't think I've slept twenty hours this week let alone, you know, gotten eaten any given night. Um, it's a lot of work, but as the old business adage goes, proper preparation prevents poor performance, right? Yeah. 
if you prepare well enough in advance, you're set. They say chance is the prepared mind. Exactly. Yes. You know, so I, that's why I do so much prep work. I started prepping for this show in the beginning of September. That's six weeks out. Okay. But I'm putting my all into it. Brand new booth layout and design, like all different types of extras and prints. Um, I've booked up a couple of different appointments, so it should be an absolutely awesome time. Um, I've got, you know, plenty of spots open left to do like walk-up stuff, like small little bangers and jammers. Um, and I have got more designs set and ready to go for this show than I think I ever have at any show ever before. Uh, so hopefully people come and get tattooed and it's a good time. Hopefully I stay busy, but not too busy that I can't go to the bathroom like I do at Philly. Um, that is... Uh, Mm. Philly's nuts. I was say, um, one thing, Jason, that I was you can yeah. maybe talk about too, because I've been doing a lot more work with Gabe, uh, James, you know that, um, too, and Amber. But like when you do these shows, how important it is to capture that information of people coming up. If you can get their email, that means, and I know it's, you know, an email is what it is, but if you can continue communication with people and you can grab in that information at a show, it's really impactful. So say you have your QR code ready, but you have to have uh -huh. a way that is more than Instagram. It's just not, it's not, it's not you saying, Hey, follow me. It's say, Hey, sign up. If you want to know when I'll be back to wheeling West Virginia next sign up. If you want to see all the great stuff that I came up, sign up. I have availability this weekend, you know, I'll yep. text you. And so yep. you can automate a lot of that, but when you're going to a show, don't forget that it's not all about what you're doing right there. It's about what you can do. You know, imagine you want to build clientele in West Virginia. You can't really do that by just showing up. There's a little bit more work that goes into it, but it's super easy. Uh -huh. You know, if you start like that chance favors a prepared mind concept, uh -huh. you know, you're, you'll see yourself in a favorable light when you're able to prepare yourself for that type of stuff. And I think everybody here is in the mood to grow. Oh, absolutely. That. And especially if people are willing to be patient, you know, um, patience is a big thing. So if someone, if, you know, I start advertising like, Hey, I've got these great back piece concepts I would really like to start working on. Um, I'm willing to come back every year, once a year for the show to work on you for an extended period of time. You know, you're going to have to be patient, obviously, for that year. But like you could have a, a steady client lined up that's willing to get like a full back piece. Next thing you know, you're going back, you know, five, six years in a row and you really start to see the progress. Mm. Now, that's nice and all, but also let's look at how much progress we can make individually over five or six years, right? So it's like, okay, well, sometimes that's not always the best bet, but it helps lock in that clientele because now you've got someone walking around with a massive back piece, right? That you're doing and they're like, oh yeah, he works at the show every year. Now you've got all their friends signing up to come over and get tattooed by you as well. Then, you know, demand is there. Next thing you know, you're like, okay, well, I've got so many people that want to get work done. Let me stop out there and do a guest spot. You know, speaking of guest spots, this is someone I really want to guest spot with a uh, very good friend, uh, Bruno Salvatierra. Uh, Bruno, welcome. You are on mute by the way. So if you're, there you go. Yeah, buddy. Bruno is one of the original four horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, man. That's a compliment, by the way, for people that don't know. Uh, Bruno, myself, Ricardo, and Kirsten, um, we all kind of like formed this tiny little tight-knit group about, uh, what, a year and a half, two years ago? Was yeah, it may have like already that? been two years, man. Like, time's flown. Yeah. We're probably going at least getting close to that two-year mark. Yeah. Yeah, now uh, Lauren's quickly moving into the ranks there. She's uh, she's riding up on her stallion, so hey, she's Lauren. quickly becoming one of us. Giddy up, giddy up. I there think that go. it was um, when I started back, like I did some stuff, but when I started specifically with reinventing, it was no like November 2020-ish, you know? So when the live event started happening again, it was like January 2020 or so. Yeah. So about two years. Wow, yeah. It would be nice to do a random, um, another Ablemo de Arte one day. Oh, in yeah, person absolutely. Like that, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I was thinking about, uh, you know, going at it again next year. Yeah, a special edition or something. or That was something some of my favorite. for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad that's how you feel about it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot well, of fun. And uh, by next, you know, by early next year, I think I'm going to kind of like have the, the time again to to put into that because that, that was awesome and i kind of miss it you know well everybody Bruno, has their own like show vibe if we um if we start coordinating now we could probably get some plans in place and plans together you know maybe lauren uh-huh. would like to come down maybe we can get james to show up live maybe we can you know get some things going and um you know maybe we can do a live broadcast from Prismas art studio Live. Absolutely. I'd be honored, man. I would be happy to have all you guys over here. We'll, we'll make room. Well, that's <laughs> however that's we have takes. to. We'll yeah, make dude, everybody fit here. I'll stop down a month early and help you out with that. Yeah, because, man. Because, you know, Miami. Yeah, no, I'm, and listen, my apartment is right upstairs from the studio. So, you know, like in whatever way I can help, you know, with that extra space, you know, we'll. We'll do whatever we can, you know, to make something special happen for sure. Yeah, you guys are always welcome. Uh, I see that intrigued look on Medusa's face. Medusa's like, ooh, Miami, can I go? I'm just hearing Will Smith singing, welcome to Miami. So was I. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. it (laughs) Yeah. My internal jukebox was going. I'll There's make sure to have that on. There's a lot of good tours down there, Bruno. Like I've spent a lot of time, as you know, obviously, through Miami and Fort Lauderdale and up. And I mean, it's really impressive tattoo scene, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. You know? I would agree. There's a lot of really great artists around here. Frank Lanatra's uh, nearby. You know, his wife and Joseph, they're all really good. Stefano's Tattoo Shop is nearby as well. And there's a bunch of really good artists over there. But in general, yeah, like Miami's got some too. Yeah, it's definitely like Florida, I think, in, in, uh, overall. Um, Bart is up uh, in North Florida with uh, yep. Pepper Spicy. They're killing it over there. They got some great artists. And, you know whose uh, work yeah. in Florida has really been impressing me lately? Um, this, this one guy, um, uh, Bruno Salvatierra, maybe you've heard of him? <laughs> I mean, maybe, I know, maybe you have. I think I've heard. I think I've. Yeah, I think they call him Prismas or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, his work is amazing. 
You have got to check him out if you don't know him already. I saw some of his stuff. It's pretty fucking sick. Dude, that hey, guy's guys. got some mad skills. Yeah, hey, we're right? talking about this guy, Bruno. Don't like interrupt. Witch- he has to do like witchcraft or something. Cause like, <sighs> like cast spells or something. Cause like, he's on Imagine- a different level. I'm sorry. I had a couple shamans swing by. Nah, you uh, guys are, are too kind. You guys are too kind. I appreciate that. No, you guys are fucking awesome too. James, I've been checking out your classes, badass. And I've been, uh, Listening in, Amber's always around. That's awesome. Medusa's always around. I try. I just sometimes got back her. Uh huh. Where? I just got back from camping with the Girl Scouts. I thought I was gonna oh, miss today, but I got home in time. Oh, nice, nice camping. That sounds like fun. Oh, it's always good to camp. get out there. Yes, we're going back in two months. Nice, nice. No, I'm glad you made it. Yeah, Medusa was doing, uh, I saw you were doing this badass uh, like a drawing of a cartridge. I was like, God damn. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, badass. I'll, I'll go grab that. It's right here. That was killer. I like how you did a, a time-lapse video of that. Or like... Yeah. I, uh, Not a time-lapse. I think it was like the process. Uh-huh. There it is. Holy shit. I like that too. I saw that and I was That's very impressed. That's what I said when I saw it. Can you yeah. guys see it very well? You got to check out that reel, Jason. It'll blow your mind, dude. Like, uh, the way that she did the little stencil and everything and how she did it, like, step by step. Yeah, the reels are a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun with the reels. Mm-hmm. You can put a lot of little music on it, create those transitions. It's a lot have, of fun. I, I actually have a couple of reels I'm going to be dropping at Resurrection Island, so stay tuned for those. I've got, like, custom soundtracks already set up for them. Ooh. Like, yeah, I'm I'm pulling oh, out yeah. all the stops. I've already started doing like audio editing for them and stuff like that. But I figure I'm gonna get some good booth content, so that'll be awesome. Oh yeah. Um, good thing I'll be there to capture those moments, Jason, with my camera. And if I can, if I can get the chance to actually get to the store to get one, I want to pick up a new iPhone before I come down so I can shoot in like better quality video instead of like. I have to send you a video about that. Uh, I saw a really good video about the 13 compared to the 14 and pros and cons. I'm going to send that to you. Well, before you make that purchase. Okay. Are you still at the convention, Jason? No, I'm at home. Uh, Convention is not until next weekend. Oh, I thought, oh, okay. So that was like a little shot from like your place. It kind of looked like you were already at the convention, man. Dude, I do have my convention banner up behind me, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like that that video you posted. Like you're loaded with stuff, man. Oh, dude, like, I am amazing man. work, dude. Like I did been doing uh, so much work this last year. I I did uh four or two different sixteen by twenty prints I'll have for sale, um, that are convention exclusives, and then I did four eight by tens or eight and a half by elevens. Um, honestly, I forget how big they are cause I'm running off of like no sleep. Um, <laughs> but I, they're one or the other. And, um, I've got four different ver- four different images for those. I might make four additional prints as well that are all smaller. Um, I have to check my paper stock first and just make sure I can do that. And I've got time to run them, package them and the whole nine, but, um, I'm going to be showing up with more merch than I have at any other show. So. You usually like have somebody help you out with that, like kind of talking to the clients while you tattoo and like uh, sell your prints and things, or you just do it. I usually you just try to. 
I usually try to recruit someone to come with me and it's like, yo, right. listen, I'll, I'll tattoo you Sunday. You want to, you know, sell some stuff for me. Awesome. But like, if you're going to do that, I've had bad experiences with people in the past that I've brought down, paid for them to come in, you know, Oh, puppy. Sorry. ADD. Um, Oh, oh so good. Um, sticks out the I think chest. Ways and you can simplify the process now, obviously 2022 in terms of, you know, money transfers for products, if it's not cash. Yeah. Yeah. Which but, is something yeah. that I already have set up. Oh, I've got my, oh. uh, a big 11 by 14, uh, page set up that says, you know, accepting, uh, payment for prints, Venmo, and it's got the QR code, PayPal, it's got the QR code um you know apple pay and all that stuff so you can send it to me however you want just no cash app like that's i know that not, you could basically here's some of the new tattoo now software that he uh, created a code generator a qr code generator so say if you have five different prints or whatever and you put five different qr codes on on like a paper or something they could scan and pay for that item right there too that's cool nice you know? That's you know, what I'm saying, the like, only thing is, so I try to keep one copy that's for display only, and then I keep all of the like actual for sale ones like below the table, like out of reach. So if someone wants to, and usually like the first couple of prints that I do that are kind of fucked up, um, those are the ones that get put on display. And I always tell people like, listen, the actual prints are way nicer than this. Like, trust me, it, this is just for display only. Um, you know, so I keep all the good ones, like kind of tucked away and hidden. Um, but I always have something out that's for display purposes. I don't really care if it gets destroyed. So it, it's basically just there to show what the artwork looks like. Doesn't necessarily reflect the image quality or the print quality. It's basically just there to show an example of the work itself. Um, now I didn't do that with my smaller prints. But I also put each one of those in like one of those like plastic print bags, the mat bags. So I'm just going to hang one of those up. But those are going to be like scattered throughout and displayed and all that stuff. So, um, but I've got like this idea in my head of how I want this to kind of look and go. I also need to buy a pumpkin. Um, and candy. It's funny, Jason. And a mask. We thought about, I don't know if I was talking to you, Jason, but like a pumpkin, pumpkin part carving contest. I would love to see Guy carve a pumpkin too. Holy <laughs> shit. Oh, wow. That would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe get Aaron Kane in there. Get Aaron Kane to come on and do that. I mean, I'd love to see what he comes up with. Let's see. Let's There's cross some... it up the gate and see if he wants to do one. We could do it virtual, you know. I'd be sitting down with like power tools and like Dremels. I, I was just about to say, I've got a Dremel. Carbide burrs and the whole nine, man. I'd go nuts. Yeah, that'd be fun. I bet, you know, tattoo artists get their hand on a pumpkin and they're going to do something. Oh, yeah. If you, if you just peel off the outer skin, you get a really nice glow and then you can carve down into the meat and make uh, it radiant of light. Right. What if you actually had a machine that was? Yeah. We used a tattoo machine to carve it, but instead of a cartridge, you had like a little knife. 
I think that's kind of same mechanism, but not. Why not just use an old flat? That was like tattooing with a razor blade anyway. Yeah. Yeah, just get yourself like a big old 15 flat, man. I mean, that you know, you'll cut someone up with that. I found something to use my old coils on. I'll use them to carve pumpkins. Oh, yeah? Bad idea. I mean, if you, you get are, a big enough already ribbon, done that? you can do it. Are you thinking this of is thinking real, Amber? What? I think that's a good idea because coil machines are so hard hitting that would be perfect for carving a pumpkin up. Yeah, like Jason we said, got a, right? Like one of those 15 flats. We got yeah. a comment from Gabe in uh, the YouTube saying, do it. Nothing is stopping you. <laughs> Gabe. Actually, the um, using tattoo tools to carve a pumpkin would be really good. I've yeah. used them to do copper plate prints. Yeah, that sounds like a brilliant, oh my God. And you can get some great stipple whip effects with those. Please, I mean, everything. you just have to have the depth on your needle tips set pretty low and um, understand you're going to destroy those needles and like curve yeah. them uh, because copper, yes, it's soft. It's a very, very soft metal, but it's still, a but metal. it's metal. There's no getting around it, but you can get some really cool like texture effects if you use a tattoo machine to like do a copper plate print. Take my advice. If you are going to take a tattoo machine or a Dremel to a pumpkin, put an apron on first. It turns <laughs> to liquid. You just ruined it. I was waiting for people to hit us up being like, oh, dude, I ruined all of my nice clothes. Like, it literally it. turns into pumpkin, pumpkin spice pudding. Season. You just got ready. I got bags of pumpkin <laughs> spice. I mean, how much you want? The pumpkin more of an apple cider girl. That's what I need to do. <laughs> what is everybody working on today? Sorry, I am uh, late. Did he already go over that? I'm really curious. Um, so we did touch on the conventions we were working with, merchandising. Um, merchandising briefly. Nothing crazy, obviously. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, so we did touch on some of it. Merchandising is very important. Um, yeah. Like, if, especially at a convention, I mean, at, at a studio too, but a convention though, like, you might as well really take advantage of that exposure, you know? And, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. All those people going, all those people are basically walking by your portable storefront. Pretty much, yeah. With as much of your art as possible. Well, it's not just that, but, and this is a philosophy that I went over briefly during my, uh, my fireside interview with Jake Meeks, um, prints, especially like artwork and stuff like that. It's a great way for people to walk away with a piece of you. Exactly. If they can't necessarily afford to get tattooed by you. Yeah. Right? So that having that funny. option is very critical to like helping you grow your own personal brand. Totally. No, and like you said, you know, sometimes people are not necessarily ready to spend, you know, hundreds of dollars or whatever it may be, but they love your work and they would love to take like a $50, $100, you know, print back to their home to take a look at and be inspired and the whole thing. And they can afford that, you know, and so right. you want to have that type of options available and, and you'll do well. I mean, um, I've seen it. 
I've seen it. I, I've, I've started to get some prints for, for the studio here um, from this website called Easy Canvas Prints. And the, uh, the prices and quality, the prices are very reasonable and, and the quality is really good. And so I bring that here to the shop, to the studio and sell it at a reasonable price. And it sells really often because it's, it's a manageable number. And so, you know, almost everybody that comes in ends up taking it. And so it adds up. The t-shirt. Buy his prints. Wow. Bruno. I, I'll show you, uh, I'll show you the quality here. So you can take a little peek if that's all right. Absolutely, man. I'm just holding up the print that you sent me. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, they're not bad, right? Dude, these are quality, man. Like good heavyweight frames, good quality canvas. Like they're they're really well done. Yeah. Uh, Full gallery wrap too, edges and all. Yeah. So they're pretty much ready to hang because they have that like thick, you know, um, what you call it? The. It's the thick canvas. The thick canvas, yeah. And so they just they look good. They're ready to like be hung on the wall without having to spend on the frame. I mean, you know you make it look even better with a frame, but yeah, just an easy it, option. The mm. gallery wrap, when you have all the edges painted as well to continue that image, that's really, really critical. Um, yeah. When it comes down to just like hanging a work of art on the wall, it helps you get away from like, you know, frames and stuff like that. So. Right, right, right. A lot of people like that unframed look. Some people do. I've always been more of a fan of like the big ornate, like elaborate gold leaf gilded yes. gallery frames uh -huh. and yeah. carved and those are dope. Yeah, like the old Victorian style frames. That's I'm that a I love for anything antique, so Yeah, yeah, me too. Kind of rustic, kinda antique. Yeah. And I'm I'm into that gold leaf look too for the frames. It looks nice. I mean it depends on the painting sometimes too. True. Sometimes you want to have like a dark, very dark frame, but sometimes those like gold frames can look really nice. Well, Bruno, if you're ever interested in getting like a canvas framed, yeah, uh -huh. let me know. Yes, I... Give me a give me a shout, man. I've got a connect for really nice ornate frames oh, um, good to know, that man. are very reasonably priced. Um. The, and they make nice dark frames too, like black and gold. They do uh, straight black frames that are really nice, but they're all like handmade, super ornate, one at a time kind of frames. Um, right. They're absolutely awesome. So and then it's really, easy to. I was gonna say I really agree with you, Bruno, about the frame. You know, it matters like what the content of the work is. Right. You know, it's like the frame is an extension of the sure. content. <laughs> And so, I, you know, I think you can have a, it can be disjunct sometimes, you know, you get this, you know, you see that at the, you know, at the Goodwill, <laughs> you, know, you go yeah. to Goodwill and you look at all of the weird art uh, with weird frames, <laughs> it's sort of like. My it's, favorite place it, to get frames. It's a good place to get frames and, you know, and you can sort of recontextualize that frame for another uh -huh. work or, you know, like I've definitely done that where I've taken, you know, the you paint on an old dime store painting. Um, I think that's, that's a, it's a contemporary move. I mean, like artists used to do it like for all time because like materials yeah. can be expensive sometimes. So, you know, like, 
you'll see Monet's where, you know, they'll take an x-ray of it and he's painted over it like, you know, several times. Van Gogh, same yeah. thing. Like he's painted over it like lots of different times because like, you know, it was expensive to buy a new canvas or whatever. Mm -hmm. but, um, but I mean, it's sort of like as tattooers, we do that all the time with cover-ups and stuff. It's kind of the way I like to think of it too. It's, you know, like um, sometimes a cover-up, you know, almost forces you to do something new or you end up with something that you wouldn't otherwise have ended up with, which is kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, the frame is, uh, it's, if you choose to go with one, it's crucial that it has some, you know, that it, it, it it's going to speak to the piece, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And if you don't have a frame that also speaks to the piece as well. Sure. So there's they're extensions, this. like you said, right? Like they're extensions of the composition itself. Like if you put the wrong color or something, you know, like I, I remember thinking that scene one and I was like, oh man, like this frame really extended the composition because, you know, like the, the things that you want to kind of line up for an ideal composition were, you know, were actually enhanced by the frame, right? Like it was something that added to the overall. So when you do the opposite, it's going to do it's going to do the opposite of enhancing the piece, right? It's going to kind of alter the, the actual composition, the harmony and the tones, maybe things like that. Right? I agree with you. I think, I think it's, a, it's important to like, uh, think about that. I mean, when you, it's a consideration that you're making, just like as you're, you know, you're making the, the work itself. So it, it certainly isn't, there's an art to it, you know, like in museums and stuff, the curator, oftentimes you know what i mean the the you know there'll be some expert that like will try to choose uh you know a frame that's like the right it's the right period it's the right like mm. sometimes there's you know sometimes there's historical reference there like you know like gilding for example like you know gilding a lot of times was sort of uh was used to cover up how shitty the wood was you know, the wood that would have been made, used for the frame itself would have been like covered in wormholes and stuff. So, Naughty uh, you know, the gilding was there to sort of cover it up. It's, um, it's almost like that, uh, you know, there's that, that Japanese technique of like mm -hmm. sort of taking a crack in a, you know, in a pottery and like gilding it, you know what I mean? Like accentuating its, its imperfection, but um you know, if you just lavish gold leaf on top of something, it's, you're kind of, you know, you're giving it another layer, you're, you know, turning it into something new, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, we can, there's, there's probably a lot more room for expression, you know, not to say there's all these rules to it, but, but Bruno, I think has got a really great point with, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna extend, you know, the composition in some way, or it's gonna, it can, it can detract from it too. What's that, Amber? I, I, with like the certain ones where they're not framed, it kind of, ones that extend off the canvas. Yeah. And your imagination can keep going because there's not that foreshortening of the frame. I, yes, I think that's, it's a, it definitely is a, it's a move, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's an artistic mm -hmm. choice to not yeah. have a frame. And so um, the gallery wrap, Jason was mentioning it, like, so when it goes off the edge, it's yeah. almost like the representation never stops. <laughs> you know, you would exactly. imagine and your imagination all the way. just yeah. fill in the rest. Mm -hmm. If you were to fr then frame that, 
your imagination would just stop at mm -hmm. the frame. Right. Sometimes I think frames are critical, though, especially depending on the medium that it's painted in. Yeah. Um, like I've got a couple of original paintings done by Chris Dunn, and they are edge to edge on very weird, odd shaped pieces of paper. So as much as your eye wants that image to continue and you know it goes off, when you're dealing with different types of paper, it's kind of yeah. hard not to get it framed or at least mounted correctly. Mm -hmm. um, you can go with like a frameless frame, like one of those like little clip frames without any kind of backing to it. And that usually looks pretty nice if you wanted to go with something like that, if it was a more, say, modern type image. Yeah. If you wanted to go through and like show those as more of a classical work of art, then you know, that's where you run into like the, okay, what kind of a frame do I want to put this in? You know, how do I want this to be displayed? Yeah. There's and an you also have to take into account the environment it's being displayed in. Correct. That's, because I you, think that's a hundred percent true because there's an interesting sort of, you know, dialectic between there's a conversation mm -hmm. between like, is this a painting? Is this an object or is this a magical window through which I see an image? Right. You know, because like a frame, you know, historically was like, you know, was meant to sort of, you know, uh, uh, and like encompass this magical representation. Like it was a window and through which you could sort of see, you know, like in, in terms of like it was an icon, you were like looking at God or something like that. You know, if it was like, if it was in like a, uh, you know, a church or something, if it was in like a, you know, the house of royalty or the house of, you know, uh, you know, some, somebody like super important. It was like, is this their, you know, th what belongs to them? You know, is this like their, you know, what they're the master over or something like that. So the frame is like this is a part of the architecture of a room space, you know? So it's meant to sort of like, you know, like be evocative of a window you look through and you see this magical thing and your eye can go in there even though it's not physically like somewhere you can go, your eyeball can, you know, go off and be inside the painting. Yeah. But we're, we're talking about like more contemporary paintings with no frame. It's like, this is an object rather than a magical space. Right. So um, the actual painting itself is like this, this object. I think now we're kind of, we're all so sophisticated that we're kind of like, Oh yeah, it's an object. Oh, it's all magical space as well. Um, so I think you can have, you can kind of have it both ways too. Um, but I think it's an interesting way to sort of think about it. Like, what is it that, why, why would we expect older ones to have these frames? A lot of times it's because of that, you know, it's, it's that was what we're, that's what was part of what was being talked about with the, these paintings, these images and stuff, you know, was this, mm -hmm. you know, these, it, it was about power too. A lot of times, you know what I mean? Like having a painting, you know, it was, it was they're, they're a religious device for, you know, for most of history, you know, um, and they're also very much, also very much invested in like, you know, representing power. So I think the fact that we can very... have these really sort of uh, abstract ones, you know, these really idiosyncratic, like artistic expressions is, I think it's, you know, I think it's, um, it's more equitable in another way. It's sort of, you know, it, it's it, it moves back and forth right art moves back and forth between these you know these two 
these two poles about like, you know, this collective thing, this individual thing. And, um, I don't know, it's, it's beautiful. And that's, I think that's part of that magic. You know, we, we see images and we see, you know, these paintings with frames or not. And, and it, you know, it makes us excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, They're exciting. You know? I think you touched on something very important there is to take into consideration the historical context. Um, when you look at history and the people that could actually afford to own paintings that weren't, you know, small miniature portraits, you know, for documentation purposes, there were very few people throughout history, except for the uber rich, that could actually afford that stuff. You know, um, look at anyone in the Italian Renaissance. Everything there was commissioned by either the church or a very wealthy family. You know, so it did go to show like a little bit of, um, um, uh, what's the uh, word I'm looking for? It, it did go to represent their status and their power. Thank you. Um, yeah. You know, and especially if it was really nice and it was in a really nice frame, then it was just, you know, an exhibition of I'm this wealthy. Not only can I own a painting that I commissioned from this artist, but I can also put it in this kind of a frame, right? Yeah. But you also touched on another great point. And it's one of the ways that I was always taught to kind of look at art, to look at whatever it is that, you know, you're working on, uh, if you're working on paper, which is my preferred medium, um, you look at that and immediately what you see is this is a window. And that's something that was drilled into my head in art school. What you see is a window. In that window, you can create whatever you want because that paper is bound by the dimensions of the piece of paper, right? So the only view that you have into that world is that window, that size, that space, that dimension, right? So everything that you do needs to be within that. Now, one thing I've started to notice a lot of people doing that I, I'm absolutely blown away by every single time I see it is they start to go with an out of bounds kind of dimensional aspect to it where they will actually paint in a smaller frame inside of this piece of paper that is your window and they will have different aspects moving forwards and backwards within that space you know mm -hmm. some parts are obscured other parts overlap and that creates an additional dimension where you where you have something that's not only existing inside this window into this other place, you know, but within that you have another area that's kind of holding this image back in certain parts and allowing this image to come towards the observer, you know, and that kind of stuff I absolutely love. Um, I did a whole series of Onomori Japanese hang tags last year that uh, really kind of played with that aspect where I had like water flowing out from one side and like a fish swimming out of it. And the other one was like a dragon jumping out of another side of one. Um, so anytime that you have those boundaries already committed in a design to be able to go through and take that and say, we're moving this towards the observer. It's a very easy way to go through and do that. So it's another play on that kind of an aspect. Um, and it's something I've always been fascinated by. So really uncanny like you said when it almost feels like the image is coming 
like out of its space and into our mm-hmm. space. You know what I mean? It can be, uh, I mean, it's really can be quite stunningly beautiful, but it's a weird thing too. You know, for a moment, it like kind of tricks you into thinking, you know, just for that, just for a moment, you know, you know, it's, but um, can kind of make you feel, you know, like this transgressive or something like it's coming out, you know, it's coming out of its, you know, it's alive or something. I guess, you know, we have a, we have a response to it. Like, yeah, when we, when we look at paintings and stuff, it's like, we know they're just paintings, but you know, when we're with, when we're with people, we have this response, you know what I mean? To living presences and stuff. And so it's like works of art, they evoke this living presence response in us that we, that we generally reserve for humans, you know, for other, you know, for other living things, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, it's really kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe there's, maybe that's a part of where the difference is. You know what I mean? When you can really sort of meditate on a, on a work of art, it's more than decorative. You know, it moves through, it moves past decoration and becomes something that feels alive to your perception. That's when it's, um, that's, I don't know, that's when it achieves some sort of status as art or something like that. I don't know. I don't want to define art <laughs> like that. that. That's not that, that simple. <laughs> that is a very difficult topic. Yeah. Um, I spent an entire class, 15 weeks, at a few hours each week, sitting down and debating the merits of what is art. Right? Would you come so up with that? Isn't, uh, <laughs> so at the, the end of, at the end of the class... Um, we defined art, any type of art, as the product uh, created by an artist, because that was really the only definition we could come up with that agreed to all of the hypothetical situations that we were proposing, right? Because think about this, right? Hypothetically speaking, Say you have someone that is able to go through and create an identical copy of a Monet painting using period materials, using period surfaces, period brushes, and they are able to create a legitimate replication or a legitimate reproduction of an original painting created by Monet, right? Or Cezanne or insert famous artist here, mm-hmm. right? That requires a large amount of artistic skill to be able to do that using period techniques, period materials, period surfaces. That is no simple feat. There is an art to that. Mm. Yet it's a forgery. Right? And right. we shun those. Right. Right. But that's not that's not really uh, including the amount of artistic skill that's necessary in order to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Also, now let's move outside visual arts. Let's look at performing arts, right? Acting is an art. Music is an art, right? There is, we, at the end of the class, we came up with the definition that there is an art to just about everything. You know, so defining what art is becomes extremely difficult until you break that down into what type of art are we referencing? Yeah. 
you know, if yeah. we're referencing um, visual art, right? Because that tends to be a very, very common topic. If we're referencing visual art, painting, drawing, um, the, uh, any type of relief or printmaking, there is an art to that, but what is the intention behind it? And that's where you get a lot of people that sit down and debate and actually sit and read the artist's statement on that work of art. What was the intention behind this? Great, you painted a great picture. Why? Right. You know, sometimes works of art require an explanation. And I'm, I may go off on a tangent here. And for those watching, I apologize, but there is an artist that I absolutely despise um, and they get paid millions of dollars for their works of art. Um, they have a permanent gallery in the Philadelphia Museum of Art where they have a number of very, very large canvases on display in a permanent gallery all year long. They are never to be taken down. The museum spent, I think it was like $8 million purchasing these works of art, and I'll pull them up, purchasing these works of art from, an art, from this artist to put on permanent display. Mm. And this has always been something that I absolutely, I, it, it bothers me to no end. Until you read the artist statement, it's like, why? Um, let's see if I can pull up some really good examples. So before we see it, do you, you, you still uh, dislike it even with the artist statement or the, like, the artist statement helps you appreciate it more, you think? So I am of the time, I am of the opinion because it is a personal opinion and a lot of this comes down to personal opinion. Mm. I am of the opinion because I have sat and stared at these works of art for hours for some of them, trying to understand how this artist got paid so much money for these works of art. Okay. And I've read the artist statement and I can understand the intention and the purpose behind the art. I can understand that. I am of the impression and the opinion that the artist statements were not actually written to show the intention behind why the artist created it, but more or less to explain why he should be paid so much money for these works of art. Okay. I see it as a very large cop out. Um, and I, you can ask anyone if we sit down and really debate the merits of artist statements and whatnot. Yes. Sometimes it is important to have that other times. It's, I just think it's a complete and total bag of horseshit. I do. Because I know people that used to create artist statements after they would sit down and try to figure out the cheapest and easiest way to complete a project in the quickest manner so that they didn't actually have to do anything. And as long they knew as long as their artist statement sounded legit, they knew that they would get a great grade. So there's tons of artists out there doing that. But here's one of the works of art that I was referring to. 
ever left Cy Twombly? Museum. Yep. And oh God, I love Cy Twombly. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I cannot do it. I how? Why? Why? Oh, I love Why? Cy Twombly. But I used to how did he it. get paid millions it. of dollars for this? It's brilliant. I don't know. Well, okay. <laughs> it's like, okay. I've okay. seen kindergartners do better than that. Well, that's a part of it. I mean, it's this sort of, you know, it's, there's a, there's a, there's a childlike sort of innocence to it as well. It is idiosyncratic. Uh, Here, here's crayon on I, canvas. I got I hear you. I, I, I think, yeah, art, art is also supposed to be annoying too. I think it's, <laughs> Anything that evokes emotion can be considered art. Right, I think. right. I think it's but that wasn't. Its job. But that was not part of the intention behind these pieces. Sure. Okay. Okay. But like, if ICP, if insane clown posse can do it, <laughs> don't even get me started. So on them. can anybody else? Do not yeah. get me started on <laughs> them. Like, that is that. You do not want me to go audience. off on that topic right now because yeah, that is yeah. not going to go well. You know what I say? I say I. That looks like something that, like, I could release out of my bowels after a good Mexican burrito or something. But if somebody's going to pay for it, fucking go for it. Like, now, I will agree with that. Own. You know what? If you can yeah. make money off of it, do it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my grandson brought that home last Friday, though. <laughs> see, 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 but did he get paid millions of dollars for it? No. no. Well, but also is your grandson like writing up papers, telling a bunch of people to spend money on it? No, he didn't put the effort into selling it. No. So, the so, artist is side probably could if you put the effort into marketing it. Maybe you can. Like, you this can looks like a warm up. Yep. Yeah. Untitled oh, 1970. Anything. This sure. looks like a warm up. <laughs> okay. And they probably got paid a ridiculous amount of money for it. Sure. Mm. Like, sure. and look, look, look. See, this shit pisses really, me really? Where is the artistic <laughs> skill involved in this? Every time Somebody got manipulated. Thank you. <laughs> Every time I leave the contemporary section of any art museum, like contemporary abstract stuff, I always leave fuming. But in the end, the thing that I take away from it is, well, you know what? I could do this shit too, and I'm not getting paid. But I also didn't do it and try to sell it to get paid. So yeah, mm -hmm. true. My fault. My bad. Yeah. I well, mean, I can't get mad at somebody for. Right. But we also, we, they we made want, something out of nothing. We want art to be this express about expression too. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, how, how can you have it both ways? Like, you know, there's a, um, we, we desire it to be this expression, but also like, you know, there's following so many conventions all the time, which I, you know, in my own personal work, it's, it's a big part of what I, you know, adhere to. It's a big part of what I agree with, but also leaving space for this expression, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, and then again, it's like, uh, having, having discussed as a, as a sort of visceral embodied reaction to, you know, to the images that we see, I'm, I'm not going to say, I think, I think it's, it's, it's like, it, it's an indicator for, for, for yourself. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, 
it's not that there's something wrong with this work. It's a part of where, you know, it's where we can begin to start to think about like, well, where am I, you know, like, uh, like why, why, why do I feel this way about it? Yeah. And, you know, and I think we're, we're talking a lot about money, you know, and money is important and stuff, but it, mm. it certainly doesn't like, you know, uh, I think it brings up a, go ahead, Bruno. Yeah. Like it brings up a feeling of like, like, damn, like, you know, I'm working so hard to make things that, you know, will potentially have some value. And this guy, he, he's not even trying. And, you know, it's like he won the lottery. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that's like where the frustration may come from. Um, because, you know, like literally this guy, maybe he never even intended to, to like become rich through his art, you know, but he had somebody around I was like dude you know what I have an idea you know and he talked to some guy and the guy was naive or who knows he was into the paintings who knows right and so they made something happen out of nothing and and so that could be a little frustrating but I also feel like you know that in, in art right like there really shouldn't be any kind of uh, limitations right like art is something that everybody feels you know, like everybody has their own view on things. And so, you know, there's definitely room for all kinds of things out there, but I can agree that it could be like a little bit of a frustrating feeling when you work so hard, you know, and you put so much energy into like becoming a better artist and uh, and you really have the intention of, of creating something special, but you know, you're, you seem so far away from that possibility. And then this guy, you know, like had his like, grandchildren make some stuff up and he was like did you guys finish all right here gather it all up i'm gonna take it to the museum you know like so that could be that could be a little frustrating i can understand but uh but yeah you know they're really but who knows there's probably people out there that look at that and they're like you know what that's not half bad you know like well i think one way to look at it i'm sorry i interrupted are you done no not at all not at all oh sorry sorry totally done mm -hmm. oh okay um I think one way to look at it is, I mean, obviously, we're going to be feeling anger, pain, resentment, a little bit of jealousy. I mean, admit it, you're a little, we're all a little jealous that somebody's making $8 billion with some scribbling scribbles, and we're not. However, the people that are buying Crayola scribbles aren't my audience. Yeah, so true. That doesn't apply to me um and and i'm trying and like mm -hmm. i i usually get really upset about like things like this because like you know i'm fucking putting so much effort into all of these like uh ballpoint pen portraits that i'm working on and not one of them has ever sold and uh sure i'm frustrated that some guy is making billions of dollars on crayola scribbles but also He's making billions of dollars, not just on like some Crayola scribbles. He's making billions of dollars having a bunch of artists walk in and feel something and leave with the feeling that they're stuck with and that they're going to keep bringing up and they're going to talk about and that they're going to make an entire YouTube show about that feeling. He just invoked mm -hmm. like with one mm -hmm. of those warm up drawings, he just made us all feel something, talk about mm. it, bring up his name, have a whole discussion about it. I have a point. And now anybody I mean, that's watching this is going to do the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. That's reached more now, people than any Medusa? of my portraits have. That Medusa? was a beautiful portrait, by the way, Medusa. Thank yeah, you. that was like very. Excellent. But I, if that was the original intention behind the work of art, okay, cool. I can get behind that, right? If that's what he said in his artist statement about those pieces, all right, I understand that. That makes sense. That's logical. I grasp that. It's meant to invoke emotion in me, right? It did. But that's not what those artist statements were about. So it's the artist statement that pisses you off. Yeah, his intention wasn't to invoke emotion in us. His intention was to visually display an emotion that he was feeling from a fictional character in a story. Sure. I think that like the intention of the artist can have, you know, can have like a lot of importance in a certain respect, but but once the artist like puts it into the world, you know, once you they, put your, you, you know, once you put your baby out there, right? And after it's, that. Yeah, it's like you don't have anything to do with what it means to the other. Like what your work ends up becoming for other people. I mean, like, again, it's, it's, it's like a frame, right? It, it can, like, contextualize it. It can extend this composition in certain ways. The artist statement can be really, you know, like, a can be a part of the work as well. But then, just like you're saying, like, now you're taking it, you're, you know, you're contrasting what it says versus what you, what you interpret from it. So, again, it's kind of like, he, he couldn't control, he can't control what it is for you, and, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and I think that that's a big part of the, um, you know, uh, so like to Medusa's point that how frustrating and stuff that it can be, I think is, uh, can be really natural. Um, you know, uh, again, you can, you can look at like, I, I, you know, of course I met people in art school, you know, that, that like hated like very like, you know, representational, highly representational art, you know, like they, they, they preferred this over, you know, they preferred Cy Twombly and, and expression, abstract expressionism over the, you know, the highly representational stuff. In a way, it's sort of like, you know, uh, it's a moment in time, right? In that moment in time that it was created, it was a sort of a victory over the old stuff, right? And now, you know, again, sort of the, the needle always moves back and forth. And so, you know, the way that like, the way that we appreciate more rendered things, more recognizable objects, you know, like things that can be recognized as, you know, particular things and objects, perhaps that's what one prefers in a work of art, but it's, you know, like, it can become hegemonic. It can become almost pernicious in a certain way. Like, you know, like it has to be this certain level or it's no good. I don't know if anybody here likes Van Gogh's work, you know what I mean? But like, if you like Van Gogh, it's like in his time, he was totally unappreciated and people hated that shit. You know what I mean? Like, and if you look at it, it's like very stylized. It's very like, you know, it's a million little brush strokes all over the place. It's, it's like, it resolves into this beautiful thing, I think. But again, it's sort of like, it's not very, you know, it's, it's not the highly polished, you know, sort of stuff, neoclassical, you know what I mean? Now. Yes. To throw everyone here for a loop. Mm -hmm. My coup de grace. This is an artist that I highly admire for their explanation behind why they created these works of art and for their intention behind it. Um, 
certain people have that same kind of emotion that I have to Cy Twombly's work to this person's works of art. And I want to see, wish there was a way I could go through and kind of like hide the upper edge of this. Let me see if I can do. You want us to guess who um, it is? Yes. Okay. I'll All try right. not to look at the, at the answer. I can't do that. That's no I love, good. I love this game. Okay. <laughs> Let's do, maybe this will work. And then I'll just do this. That'll be here. I'll minimize that one. Where it is. Okay, there's that. That. And I'll put this on a different, yeah, there we go. Okay. And if you know, don't shout it out right away. But this is one of my fa most favorite works of art ever. I know. <laughs> its title is called The Fountain. <laughs> is that a sculpture or a painting? Neither. It's a <laughs> urinal. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I dig it. it. It's an actual legitimate I urinal. like it. Like fully functional. It's a ready-made. Yes. Yep. <laughs> this is one of uh, an artist named Marcel Duchamp. Uh, he came up with a whole series of works of art called ready-made art. Right. And that was kind of like his interpretation of what modern art should be. Right. Where it's not necessarily about what you create. It's about the fact that I am an artist and what I say is art is art right and he entered this into a gallery exhibition in europe and i think he like took home some kind of accolade or first place or whatever it was it, that got and thrown I'm, in the garbage yeah it did yeah that it got, did. they it, had to they, retrieve it they, they kicked it out. yeah they kicked him out <laughs> for that <laughs> but that was his concept his idea was that i am an artist yeah and if i call this art it is art and that's the way it was, right? Thanks to him, they sold that banana at the Art Basel for a million dollars. That's exactly right. Another one of his ready-mades. Bicycle wheel on a stool. Yeah. There's one at the Art Institute in Chicago. It's a tie rack. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, um, it's just, it is, it is just an old tie rack. Uh, but then, I mean, again, you, you, contemplated as a work of art and then its placement in the temple of culture that is the museum and then you so here's where here's <laughs> where i draw like the difference between the two there is in my personal opinion here there is even though marcel ducamp wasn't the one that created anything here I believe that he recognized the craftsmanship and the artistic ingenuity within each of these elements, right? Look at the fountain, for example. There was someone that had to go through that had to create that, had to shape it, had to manufacture it. They had to put their hands on it and mold it to be very specific. So ergonomical. Someone had to think of that. Yes, someone did. 
right? It's got form and function. Okay. So there's With craftsmanship involved in it. Now, because the uh, creating a bicycle wheel, you can't have an, a lopsided bicycle wheel. It has to be in a circle, right? That requires a level of craftsmanship, right? Creating a stool whose legs were, you know, created on a wood lathe, right? Having a perfectly rounded stool seat. There's craftsmanship involved in that. You know, yes. you put the two together, even though they might not necessarily go together, but there's still craftsmanship involved in each one. There is a level of artistic skill involved in creating those items. Okay. I'm second the fact that tuning a bike wheel is incredibly fucking difficult and takes a lot of skill. So yeah, a bicycle yeah. wheel is a work of art. So that that goes back to my original uh, point, in my one of my concepts, right? To me, I need to see, in order for me to consider something a work of art, it needs to be more than just being able to invoke an emotion. I need to see some type of effort, some type of skill involved in it, something that's beyond what the average person can do, right? That's something that I look for in a work of art. You know, someone that sits down and works on a lathe to create the perfect stool leg, right? That knows how to bevel each individual ridge exactly right. And they know that they've, because they've done it over and over and over and over again to create that level of craftsmanship and that level of quality. And they've developed the artistic skills necessary to create all manner of things that are outside what the average person would be able to create. That's one of my personal definitions of art. Here's I'm not where, saying that's blanket, but- I wanna agree. I really want to agree, but I also want to sort of just take it one step further and just sort of say like, you know, um, go back to Cy Twombly for a moment and just think, well, you know, uh, or any of us for that matter, right? Like, did we grow the, you know, the flax to weave the canvas? Did we like sort of go and mine the, you know, the, the minerals to make the grind, the pigments, make our paint. Did we like kill the badger to make the brush? You know what I mean? Like it all is mediated, right? And we're all using these various technologies. So like Marcel Duchamp, he picked a urinal. This is media and he's like sort of, you know, he wrote on it. So it's his, it has this master's touch on it, whatever. Interestingly, I heard that, that it was like, it was actually like, it was a woman who came up with that concept and he just took credit for it. But you know, it, and which makes sense too, because it's like, it's this strange sort of, you know, man fixture, the urinal, you know, specific to the men's room, you know, you don't have one of those in the women's room. You know? So it's kind of an interesting, you know, uh, uh, it's interesting homage there. But, but again, I think a part of what we're, what we're upset by is, you know, it comes, it does come back to, to money value, you know, like how things are valued and stuff. And probably, you know, in this, in the high end, in the world of like really high end art, it's just a big scam. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just a, it's just a place to sort of like, you know, to, to place, you know, capital. So that way it's sort of like, it's a tax shelter in certain respects. It's uh, you know, there's, there's other sorts of games that get played with, you know, with money, you know, rich people uh, for a long, long time. You know, if you were to like donate to museum, there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of deductions you could make on your, 
tax returns, for example, or, you know, like there's ways that you can shelter inheritances and stuff by, you know, like putting it in arts, you know, in the works of arts. And so, you know, again, Cy Twombly recognized that this fine paper that he put his Crayolas on, you know, it's not, the, it's not too different from this. I mean, it's different than a urinal, but it's sort of like you, you were talking about, there's this, there's something crafted, it's been appropriated by the artist and sort of represented as a, as a new thing. It's when we, it's what we sort of put into it when we look at it. And that's where, you know, that's where the magic really happens. That's where we all become sort of like, you know, um, you know, uh, possessed by the, you know, by the art spirit, you know, genius was sort of historically thought to be, you know, being possessed by the genie being present, being possessed by muse or like, you know, or like some sort of like, uh, you know, you're just a medium through which this sort of, you know, this genius is coming through. Right. And Sometimes it feels like that. It might be that. I don't know. It's that it's not, but, but, you know, it's like, in ancient in ancient Greece, like the you know the the poet would write the poem, and the rhapsod would like sort of you know would like would speak it to everybody. So it's like you know the the medium of genius is moving through the poet, and then again this the rhapsod is like is again another sort of mediation of this, and then the audience becomes sort of possessed by this spirit, mm -hmm. of, you know of you know of of genius and stuff. Um, so it, there is this sort of movement of art spirit through, you know, through all of us. It's very interesting, but I, you know, I think that we've, I, I've just, it's been so fascinating and so wonderful having this conversation and like, and the, you know, even my own, you know, preconceptions about art and stuff like that were really challenged today, you know, and I really, you know, I think that's the, um, to Medusa's point earlier about how like sometimes these things can make us feel stuff maybe then that's the thing that that's you know, the point yeah it becomes a becomes a big part of the point for sure but and you don't Jason, get thank you so much for sharing those artists with people us. feel so cool. yeah yeah definitely yeah, I, I always like to get into this kind of a, a concept this kind of a discussion because it opens up doorways into other things um, especially when you really start to sit down and look at um, what do we define as art in regards to what we do for a living, right? We are tattooers. Is yeah. that a craftsmanship? Is it an art form? Um, you know, are we, I mean, if you wanted to split hairs, you could sit back and say that we were, we are commissioned fine artists, um, which is a very kind of simple explanation, in my opinion. Um, but there's so much more that goes into it, right? When you look at historically the craftsmanship behind tattooing and what tattooers used to have to do in order to execute a, any given tattoo, it really starts to ask the question like, what is, you know, is tattooing a form of fine art, you know, and over the years, people have identified it as yes and acknowledged it as yes, it is a form of fine art, which is awesome. And there's been several permanent gallery exhibitions that have been done 
that have displayed that um, and illustrated that fact to everyone around the world, acknowledging that, yes, this is fine art. Um, you know, so it really starts to bring up other ideas and other questions and other issues and really helps us identify and circle back to the idea that what we are doing is a form of fine art. We are artists. You know, we put effort into and create living works of art. You know, so that's part of the reason why I enjoy bringing up that topic every now and then. Not too often, because I do get very passionate about the fact that I do not like Cy Twombly as an artist. Uh, I've gone on quite extensive rants before uh, about why I just don't like them. A lot of it stems from the fact that I don't think they actually put a whole lot of effort, skill, or craftsmanship into what they created. Like a lot of it was just very emotional and very gestural and very raw. It didn't, to me, it doesn't seem like when you're talking about a work of art that you could compare to something that someone brought home from like pre-K, how is that above and beyond what the average person can do? that's that's where my mindset goes i think a part of it too is that like it takes i mean you know again um uh so right if that was well what about this maybe it takes a certain level of you know self-acceptance or a certain, <laughs> a certain level of bravery to sort of put that out there as this is my work it looks like this um I don't know, you know, again, it's sort of like, ah, you know, that's maybe that's easier. Maybe that maybe it's easier than I'm sort of saying. But I think, you know, we put a lot of skill, a lot of adornment on the things that we're making. So that way it's sort of like, hopefully it gets liked by others. But what if you just put it out there and it's like, you know, it's this totally rudimentary thing. And, you know, you're like, this is it, you know, the certain boldness to it. You know what I mean? To that. I can move, see that. That's, that's like, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, in this way, it, 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 because it goes against every convention that we were just talking about. Yeah. That it is bravery in itself. And I get it. It's like, you know, anybody could do it, but not everybody does do it because, you know, like, uh, because it's, it's so easy to make fun of. It's so easy to disparage, you know, mm -hmm. it's so easy to say like, <clears throat> you know, like it's nothing in a certain way. Um, but you know, it's, I don't know. I, I really don't, uh, I know. And I'm not, saying, I'm not, I'm not trying to like bash Cy yeah. Twombly. I acknowledge <laughs> the fact that yes, they <laughs> do have quite a few really, really well done works of art. And that's where they get that, like that credibility for being a fine artist. And I acknowledge that Yeah, they have created a lot of really talented, really skillful works. Um, even some of their more expressive stuff, you know, some of their sketches of like color blooms. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Do more of that. <laughs> sure. But crayon on canvas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? I, yeah. Just to, yeah. Just like for argument's sake, you know what I mean? That's like, I think that's what's so fun about it. And, you know, it's what's, um, 
um, that's what's interesting. Yeah. You know, that we can still, we can still find something interesting. There are all these, you know, millennia of paintings, but there are still interesting paintings out there. Um, well, and so. I'm, I'm very happy that this topic was actually brought up because it, it brings me back to one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, and that was intention, right? Intention and purpose behind what it is we create and what it is we draw. Um, you know, like I'm sitting here working on this, this new watercolor painting and you know, I'm one of those people, I need to have some kind of reasoning behind why I'm creating this. Otherwise, why am I doing it? Why am I putting the effort and energy into it when I could be doing something else? Uh. Right? Sometimes it's exploring the medium. Sometimes it's re refining or working on a skill. You know, sometimes it's, you know, there's a different reason behind whatever. Sometimes it's because, oh, well, I've just never painted one of these before, or I've never drawn this before, so I want to draw one of these. Okay, cool. If that's your intention, do it, right? That's fine. But whether we realize it or not, there's almost always an intention behind everything that we create. I think that a lot of times some people have difficulties identifying that, though you know, and identifying why am I doing this? You know, and really understanding what's going into the behind the scenes mm. of that. That's a good point. The more that you know what your intention is, you know, the clear, the more clear the vision will be, right? And, and so that definitely helps in the cause of like transferring what's on your mind into the canvas right like having that intention clear i don't think that you can i mean <clears throat> i'm not saying that it has to be a hundred percent clear you know because you know it's always nice to leave some room for like some spontaneous things you know to come up while you're working on on your project and and maybe shift direction a little bit but but the intention right the more that you understand i could agree with that that's that's interesting yeah, you're, I, the more the more the clear the intention, the more present that you are, you know, and the more present that you are, the, you know, the better the thing that you're doing is going to be. Yeah, and the more I find that the more intention that you have when you go into it, the more flexible you can be when things come up. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You can you can say, oh, well, this wasn't intended, but you know what? I really like the way that this looks. Yeah. Cool. Great. Maybe I'll continue to do this. You know, maybe this will become, you know, a branch for whatever style I decide to move in next. Um, sometimes the intention is to refine a skill and to get better at a certain skill. Like I, that's why I join James class every Monday. I love it. And I love yeah. building my skill level, you know, and it, it's really, really helpful because if we don't take a step back every now and then and reevaluate where are we, what do we need to work on, what do we need, need to improve upon, we're just going to continue to do the exact same thing every single time. You know, and if we mm -hmm, continue to mm -hmm. do the same thing every time, how are we progressing as an artist? How are we getting better? How are we identifying a deeper level? You know, so for me, a lot of it is fallback figure out what it is you need to work on and what it is you need to improve upon, what 
what could you be better at identifying that and then moving towards a direction where you can improve upon that. So that's my philosophy, at least. Yeah, having an intention for your, you know, for your own improvement, having an intention for your own. I, I guess it's sort of like what I feel like what we've been almost what we've been talking about is like, you know, we've been talking about art and stuff and then, you know, different medias of art. But like, like, what if your life is a work of art? What if you think about like the, you know, the intentions of your life and like, and the, what you end up leaving behind after you, after you're dead. Um, so legacy. Of course. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. legacy can be a work of art. Yeah. It yeah. takes a lot of skill to craft a legacy that will live on for millennia. Yeah. You know, so once again, yeah. artistic skills involved, craftsmanship is involved. Mm -hmm. You know, it might not be a traditional like physical object or anything like that, but there is a level of skill and craft involved in creating a legacy. Right? It's yeah. something that most people don't really look at as far as um you know life is concerned but there's a perfect example um in philadelphia we have a a private collection called the barnes foundation right the barnes foundation was a guy from pennsylvania that had a lot of money and collected works of art from all over the world from italian renaissance artists to um old uh, renaissance style sculptures uh, he's got a couple of more modern things in there, but he went through and in every room in his original uh, art gallery, he curated exactly where every work of art was supposed to go so that there was some kind of a tie-in to everything else. And he was very specific about how he arranged things, where he put things, what distance things were from other things, what was next to one another, what was in a separate room from something else, what rooms were next to each other. And he curated this gorgeous work of art in this building and created a legacy based on that. He might not have painted anything in the gallery. He might not have sculpted any of the sculptures, you know, but through the arrangement and the planning out of his affairs after he passed away, what he wanted to be done with the works of art, he created this legacy that is in and of itself a work of art. Yeah, project. Exactly. Yeah, and this that's the you know gave birth to this work that's you know an heir unto itself. Right. And that, that was that was his intention behind it, is he wanted to craft a legacy. Yeah. He wanted to create this. It's interesting too, like as you know, we're makers, right? we're tattooers, we're, we make stuff though too, you know, you make, you make works of art and it's like, you know, one of my, uh, you know, one of my dear, dear drawing teachers, you know, she used to always say, you've got to kill your babies. <laughs> you've got to kill your babies. So, you know, you have this precious thing that you're, you know, you're lavishing your time over and stuff and it's like, you get done with it, you're like, yeah, it's a piece of shit. So. You destroy it, right? You throw it away. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Why? So that way you can make room for the next one. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a process that you have to go through. And it's sort of like, you know, so you negate this thing, uh, you know, especially he had the best of intentions and, you know, (laughs) had all the intention in the world, but didn't work out. So you got to move on. You, You know, you keep, you keep trying, right? You never end up, you never give up. You keep going, you keep trying, you know, you have to, it's a pro, you know, creative process is a, is a destructive one, right? You're always destroying what you did before, you know, sort of make room for the next thing. Um, and so again, I think we come back to this whole, like building a legacy or, you know, the, your life as work of art, it's, it's very traumatic <laughs> in real terms. You really get down to it. You really start thinking about it. Like you have to destroy the things in your life, you know, to overcome yourself, letting, you know, letting whoever it is you think you are die. So that way you can like, you know, overcome it and become, you know, the next, uh, you know, your, <laughs> so you can achieve your final form. The next if you, like, yeah. if you like the Dragon Ball Z reference, you know, <laughs> I picked up on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've not even achieved my final form. Yeah, you won't until you're dead. You know, somebody yeah. else is gonna somebody else is gonna make the call. Somebody else is gonna curate your, you know, what you curated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Somebody else will have the the decisions about like contextualizing, framing you up. You know, when you get finally framed up. Well, as two collect tattoo collectors, we curate our bodies. True that. And. Most of the time, you're curating a collection of art so it can live on forever. We're curating a collection that's going with us. Yeah. And sometimes you got to cover those up. Art form with a finite lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. I love that. It's, you know, you're, we're riding on the surface, you know, our our surfaces. You know, it's, well, and there's something to be said for the impermanence of tattooing as well. As much as yeah. it is a permanent form of art, it's also impermanent in the fact that when we die, unless we take arrangements to have things preserved, um, mm. it it doesn't last forever. You know, yeah, it's not it's not something that is finite. You know, where or it is something that is finite. It's got a lifespan and that span is as long as the wearer of that tattoo. Um, you know, it's something that's always intrigued me about tattoos and tattooing is the fact that, yeah, no, they, as much as they last for as long as the person is alive, you know, the vast majority of the time they don't last after that. No. Has anybody here had a tattoo die? any of your of any of your people that you've done tattoos on have died yeah yeah it's a it's a wild thing you know you because you're i mean it's like it's it's crazy how connected you get to a client yeah Yeah. you're so connected to them and you know so they have your work on them and then they're dead they're dead and they either died and you know it's uh it's a it's a strange they took a piece of you with them to the grave i think so yeah, it's, it's, I don't know how to feel about it totally. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know if I've. Yeah. I know what you mean. I, there was a piece that I left that I couldn't get to finish, you know? 
Yeah. And it kind of left me with the feeling like, man, I wish I could have finished that for her, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But yeah, there is a special connection though. Like there is something that kind of, that you feel a little bit more than maybe in other situations, similar situations when someone that you know has passed, you know, there's, there's a connection there. I think that we, you know, in most cases, you know, like, uh, in my, in, in like personally, like with my clients, like, you know, there's always a connection that, that takes place, whether it's a strong one or, or just a mild one, but nevertheless, you know, it's a connection that you develop with, with your clients, you know, after tattooing them. And, and so you kind of like, yeah, there's, there's something about something like that happening that, that, that you definitely feel. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's different kind of feeling, I guess. But we're just blessed. I mean, to feel it. I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, like, I don't. I, I don't know. There's probably. There's probably other sorts of like. Probably other sorts of relationships. You know that, like people would have that. You know, it could be similar. But it's there's a uniqueness. I think to what we do and mm-hmm. how we connect with people and like, because you put them through. You put them through hell. You know what I mean? My God! You think about like. Like, you know, like I was just tattooing this, I was just tattooing some necks last night. I had two necks in a row and I was just tattooing this neck and it was like, I was like, I was like just wiping them and and they were like, oh my God, please stop. I feel bad. I got to do it right. I know. I was like, I'm so, I'm so sorry, but you know, like just take it, you know, I'm like wiping away and being a jerk and you know. It's what you got to do sometimes. So. Got to do it. It was they turned. Yeah. I, I I was really proud of them. I think it turned out really beautifully. But at the same time, it was like, got to put these people through hell, and uh, you know. But and then they thank you. You know, if you do a good job, <laughs> you do, you do the right. Tattoos are cathartic. Yeah, you're going through the same pain you do in your re- everyday life with other things, but instead, something beautiful comes out of it. Yeah, it can. And you know, at the end, something beautiful is coming out of it, so it's yeah. worth the pain. Well, you hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you have any, because depending on who you're getting tattooed by, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have seen some scary things. <laughs> That's a good one. So you I'm hope you something beautiful is by coming. Your friend's from. friend doing it out of their kitchen. <laughs> but but why? I mean, they said I got a free side of hepatitis. So I oh. and I mean, if it's free, it's for me. God, yeah. Was a. <laughs> not to like throw a wrench into that comment i mean I, I do agree with you but it was just the perfect opening Absolutely. for that kind of oh. a, a comment no we have a lot of responsibility there's a you know, great power yeah. comes great responsibility and all that you know what i mean so uh, okay peter parker Honestly, right. well, that I, was Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben. It said was. That. It was. Yeah. It was. Uncle Ben said that. I used to kind of struggle a little bit with, you know, like how much pain my client were, my clients were going through. You know, I, I would just almost like, you know, feel, you know, not not their pain, but I would feel how much pain they were feeling, and that would stress me out and like actually consume some of my energy. Yeah. And so over time, I realized that. You gotta learn how you know, to shield from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the truth is that, you know, we got to do what we got to do, you know, and there really is nothing yeah. that we have to feel sorry about because it's just what it is, you know, and and I already know I'm taking all the measures that I can to make it as pleasant as it can be, you know, it is a mm-hmm. tattoo. 
but like for example my apprentice you know like one of the things that that she keeps doing is like she the clients are like ow you know and she's like oh my god i'm so sorry you know so she's getting like distracted by that and i tell her this there's nothing that you need to feel sorry about on your next tattoo i don't want to hear you say sorry not even once i tell her you know because i just want her to understand that (laughs) there's nothing to to feel sorry about like Mm -hmm. it's just what we got to do and not only that but like it, it consumes our energy that we could be using you know to like uh do a better tattoo and it's actually really important that we're having fun you know when we're tattooing we're enjoying ourselves that because otherwise our, our energy, you know, won't last us very long, you know, and we yeah. need a lot of energy. And enthusiasm for the project drops. Absolutely. Yeah. In general, you know, like you got to know how to manage that energy. And one of the ways, one of the things that I needed to do was to really address that. And, and, and yeah, like it really saved me a lot of energy, you know, there's things that, you know, you don't realize until, you know, it's been a certain amount of time and you kind of reevaluate, right? Like you think about certain things and how you can make an adjustment to make the situation better. And that's what I'm trying to do for my apprentice in this case, trying to savor all that time, you know, mm-hmm. and energy. So by her understanding that kind of thing, that came with yeah. time for me. It's better than what was drilled into my head when I was going through my my second apprenticeship, and that was stop caring. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was drilled into my head during my second apprenticeship. They huh? just kept saying, "Dude, why do you care?" They're electing to go through this. This is a voluntary thing they have elected to go through. They knew it was going to hurt. They knew and they did it anyway. So why does it really matter so much to you? Yeah, that's what I used to get. It doesn't matter. You know, and it's like how you care. Yeah, exactly. By by sorry, not sorry. You know, that that is how you can care is, you know, by uh, again, Bruno's Bruno's talking about, you know, the energy and sort of like uh, uh, managing, managing that energy so you can you can channel it into the most productive ways rather than sort of being so concerned about, uh, you know, I guess their, uh, their journey, you know, cause it's their journey. They're going through it. You know, yeah. you have to, you have right. to do your portion. When my clients start to get a little whiny, I just try to cheerlead them <laughs> through it. You're all right. You're doing really right. good. You're sitting like a rock. I know you can right. do this. If I'm positive, it gets them more positive. See, that's way better than what I do. That is way nicer than what I do. I just throw in headphones. (laughs) I just throw in headphones so I can't hear them anymore. Oh, shit. (laughs) I'm a bleeding heart. I I feel for everybody. Sometimes I'll start out the session by giving them headphones. And I'm like, here, watch this. Right? And I put them off in their zone and throw on Netflix on my iPad for them. Cool. Go watch something. Because if they're distracted, they're not going to complain. Yeah. And they're not yeah. going to be focused on the pain that they're enduring. You know, I found that very few people have the like mental, not capacity, but the, the mental discipline to sit back and really kind of find their place of Zen and zone, themselves zone out, out, right. To get into that meditative state, especially if you're working on like, say a rib panel, right. And you're, you've got a six hour session on a rib panel. That's going to suck. 
I know I've been through it a couple of times and it sucks. But mentally, if you put yourself in the right spot, you're fine. You won't move. You'll control your breathing. Mm -hmm. Everything will go just fine. But a lot of times people don't either don't want to or can't put themselves in that kind of a state to like sit still to like put their mind somewhere else and endure it during that period of time. So if that's the case, what I usually end up doing is saying, oh, oh, it, it hurts. It sucks. Oh, okay. Here, watch Netflix. Trust me, you won't pay attention to it. Yeah, you get give involved them in a movie where you're really invested in it. You're not going to know anything that's going on around you. You know, and it gives you something to do with your mind during that process other than focus on how much it sucks. Granted, maybe I'm just a big wuss and think that, you know, getting your side panel sucks. Um, maybe that's just me. And I'm, I have been known to cry when I stub my toe. So it very Take my well. advice. Don't let them watch horror movies while you're tattooing them. Ones that they've never seen before, I completely agree. But if they've already seen it, they're going to be well, used to the jump scares. They're going to yeah, be used to Yeah, I'm not talking about that, but, oh, I've been wanting to watch this movie. I'll watch it now. No. Nope. No. That's a big nope. Especially if they actually get scared by things. I haven't had a horror movie scare me in, since I was 10. I just typically don't end up watching horror, so I don't. I love horror movies. That's not my genre. You know, more power to people that enjoy it, but, like, it's just never been something that I really got into. Like, yeah, it's suspenseful, and that's cool, but, like, it's just never been my thing. When I was a kid, I loved being, being scared. Now, it I will say that to me. I do get a lot of inspiration from some horror stuff and, like, horror yeah. imagery. Especially like Hellraiser, um, Aliens, yeah. even though that technically isn't horror, but whatever. Well, uh, but some of the darker imagery. The genres of sci-fi and horror. Yeah, there's there's different stuff there. But like to me, I love the, the imagery and I love the inspiration that I can get from it. It's just not something that I would watch voluntarily. It's just not my thing. Now, so glad Hellraiser movie coming out. Oh, wow. There is a new it. one coming out. Yes, I haven't. I once again, I since I don't really watch horror, I'm not really like, oh my god, there's a new Hellraiser coming out, you know. So it, it, I'm a little giddy. Like I, I, I've heard it's coming out, but that really, to me, honestly, just doesn't do anything for me. So I'm like, oh, cool, another one. How many are they yeah. on now? Like twelve, fifteen, something like that. <laughs> I've lost count. So, you know, it is, it is what it is. If that's what you enjoy, by all means, more power to you. But like I said, it's just yeah, not my fine. thing. Yep. Um, no, man, like, uh, I, I was getting tattooed at a convention one time. And, man, it was freaking hurting. It was my leg, right, my thigh. And, uh, and then, you know, some buddies came around and we started having a conversation. And... You know, I got distracted by the conversation and like, you know, 10 minutes later, I thought to myself, oh, I haven't even thought about the pain in these like last 10 minutes. You know, I didn't feel nothing. I was so distracted in the conversation that, um, you know, that, that 
you know, obviously it hurts or whatever, but like I realized that day that there was nothing better than just something that can distract the client while they're getting tattooed, which, you know, oh, yeah. a movie is a, a really good option. So I, I, I definitely go for that, especially when I feel like the client is a little bit of the type that, you know, kind of wants to control the situation or like really wants to pay attention to all the little things. That's when I definitely push you know, the movie, so they can just relax their mind a little bit and get distracted with something else other than the tattoo, right? Right. Distraction, for sure. Like, no doubt. But no funny movies. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. That's another one. Yeah. No funny movies. I, I've never actually really watched horror, actually. You know, I think about it for some reason. I'm not into horror because I, I remember everything. Like, and like you know, I just record everything that I see. I saw House of a Thousand Corpses, and man, I couldn't forget that fucking thing. That was for a good. while. That was yeah, good. it was it was good. I I agree that it's really good, but you know, it's it's brutal, and so that kind of thing just stays in my head. So I don't really watch horror too much like that. But um, I'm I'm more into the sci-fi. I really enjoy sci-fi stuff. Yeah, but Tarantino movies, and I've I've recommended oh, this to Tarantino people before. Movies. Go on Facebook Marketplace, go on Amazon, go on eBay, find a used iPad mini, right? It's like a uh-huh. couple hundred bucks. Uh-huh. Get yourself a little like extendable iPad holding arm. Sure. Keep that at the studio. Throw Netflix on it, throw whatever streaming services you want on it. Put it on a separate account, your business account. That way you can write everything off, right? But that then becomes a business expense because you're providing that entertainment for your clients to watch at the studio, right? Mm. That is staying at the studio. It is on that account. You are not using it for personal. That is a business expense. And now you can write that off and your client gets something to watch. Boom. There you go. Um, And an iPad mini is all you need. Mm -hmm. You don't need to give them a big 13 inch iPad pro screen, right? That's overkill, right? Most of the time they're sitting down watching stuff on their phone anyway. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, your phone screen's far smaller than an iPad mini screen. Not by much, but it is. Awesome. Great. Here's a little bit of a bigger screen for you to watch. And I've got one of those like articulated arm like positioning things. Mm-hmm. And if someone's laying the on their back. I'll just extend it up, put it so it's facing completely down. They can watch it while they're laying on the massage table, right? With their head up. If it's, if I'm working on their back or something like that, cool. Take it, put it in a case, throw it on the ground, put their face in the face hole and they can continue watching. Buy a cheap pair of noise canceling headphones on Amazon for like 30 bucks. Have that synced up to the iPad mini. Give that to them. You know, that way you're not getting invested into whatever it is they're watching and getting distracted by that. Yeah. That's going to help isolate their sound, Mm -hmm. help them get into the show or the movie that they're watching, you know, and it's relatively inexpensive. You can usually get a cheap used iPad mini for like what? 200 bucks plus 30 bucks for headset, 230 bucks. And they are in their zone and you can use that whenever you need to for clients or hook it up to a Bluetooth speaker, play some music, have that as your media center. Here, put on whatever music you like. You know, have Spotify or Pandora or Apple Music or whatever synced mm-hmm. up to it. 
let them control it. It gives them a sense that they are controlling what's going on, that they are, that they have the power of over that environment and that setting and what's going on. It helps them feel a little bit more relaxed and you get to do what you do. You yeah. know, if they like to talk, advice. well, then they like to talk and you can't really do much about that. Um, but that's what I usually like to do, man. And some people are like, cool. I can't wait to pick up on the next episode of Cobra Kai. Cause you know, can't watch it at home. Cool. Here, take the headphones, throw it on, go, go do your thing. I'll tap you if we're taking a break or, you know, if we're done for the day and they'll go into their own little world. And next thing you know, it's like, what time is it? Awesome. Cool. This session's done. I've got an hour break to break down, set up, grab something to eat, get ready for the next appointment. You've just, you've just sat through a four hour session. That's two movies long. Do it. I used to time my sessions by the number of movies people would watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, how long do you want to sit? Two movies? Cool. Oh, oh, you want to sit through three Lord of the Rings movies? That's like an all day appointment, man. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we can do it. You know, and it's like, all right, mm-hmm. sit down. Let's let's do the things. And it worked works really, really well to help everyone stay on task. And the only reason why I bring this up is because I get really, really distracted very easily. So Yeah, I know the feeling. It's an issue for me. So I've had to find ways to combat that. Yeah, like movies that I've already seen in the background is helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yes. I used to control the playlist of movies that I would have available to make sure that they were only movies I had already seen mm-hmm. um, until I decided to just go with the whole streaming service thing. And now yeah. I don't exactly I, do that. Sometimes quite as often. I'll pretend that I, that I haven't seen the movie for a really long time when I bring it up. But the truth is I just saw it like the day before because <laughs> they're like movies that work for me, you know, like it kind of helps me stay focused in a way because uh you know i'm listening to the movie and so but not really playing it creates the white noise yes exactly the white noise there you go that's what it is i play music when i read because otherwise i hear every single little noise in the house but if i play music i don't hear the music i just read see if i'm sitting down and i'm reading i'll actually take a pair of active noise canceling headphones I won't even put on music. I'll just throw the headphones on and turn noise canceling on. Just helps block everything out. But it also, depending on the type of music that people are listening to, um, I always recommend any type of music without any lyrics because lyrics can be very distracting. So I always tell them, put on classical. Trust me, it helps. It does. Um, Put on soundtrack music, you know, from your favorite movie right? Put on the film score to Alien or, you know, the film score to Halloween or Halloween, you know, 37 or whatever. Um, I think it's like 90 now. Uh, whatever. I, oh, I lost track, you know, um, but that's, it really does help. So give that a shot. And I've actually had people sit down before and I'm like, oh, it's, it's really starting to get to you. All right, let's try this. I'm going to put you through what I go through when I get tattooed and you tell me if it helps. 
and I'll do exactly what I just said. And I'll put on like a very slow meditative soundtrack for him. And or like a YouTube video that's like four hours long of like mm -hmm. meditation music or whatever. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm tapping them because their session's done for the day and they're like, holy shit, that really helped. It's like, yeah, I know. That's why mm -hmm. I recommended you do that. So there's all types of little tricks there. But I think we are getting ready to be out of time. So I don't know if uh, James is still there. I think he's on the phone, so we'll give him another minute to come back before mm. we start doing some sign-offs. Bruno, as always, man. Uh, Bruno just stepped away for a minute. Perfect timing. Never mind. Right here, buddy. Uh, I was going to say, man, I really appreciate you joining in today, man. Always My love pleasure, having you man. on here. I can't wait to come down and visit. Uh, Me too. It's going to be an absolute blast. Maybe we'll all head down there with Lauren and we'll get some, uh, some stuff set up and uh, maybe we'll awesome, start doing dude. some like live broadcasting, maybe some collaborative drawing and painting. Who knows? That would be amazing. dude. Maybe we can amazing. kidnap James and bring him with us. Absolutely. Want to spend a week in Miami, James? Yes, please. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That'd, right. That'd be, that'd be amazing. The weather's yeah, about to like, get good. We should do like a reinventing the tattoo studio takeover. <laughs> that could be fun. Yeah, man. Blend blend that up in here with everybody. Yeah, dude. That'd be awesome. I'm I'm all about the like painting, you know, art fusions. Um, I absolutely love that. You know, that's like one of my favorite things. Um, and I have a couple buddies that would be down to come, you know, and Dude, that'd be awesome, man. Uh, so yeah, dude, let me know. The weather gets good after November. Okay. Okay. Like real good. That's when the hurricane season's over. And um, and yeah, man. But even if you want to come in November, man, let me know. Like I've got a little bit of travel totally I gotta down. do to the end of the year. Um I've got Puerto Rico in the beginning the very beginning of December, late November, early December. Um, so All it's right. probably not going to be until like springtime, but anytime though. Yeah, dude, we'll definitely figure it out, man. But uh, Creatures Cave on YouTube said that they have a music playlist that their clients built. Um, so they usually like to use that and they'll put that mm -hmm. on for them. Awesome. Great idea. Um, and they said, thank you for the episode and see everyone tomorrow. Yeah. Take care. Uh, James, you want to go through and give us a start on sign-offs? Yeah, sure thing. I'm James Wisdom, and uh, you can catch me on the Reinventing the Tattoo Network Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern, Drawing for Tattooers. Um, thank you, Jason, for the show. It really is uh, – it was a pleasure getting a chance to, to catch up with everybody. And then, um, you know, I, I just really enjoyed our conversation today. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was exceptional. Mm -hmm. Um, Amber, it was a pleasure as always getting a chance to, to hang out with you. Bruno, thank you, you so well. much. And uh, I, I just, I, God, I really enjoyed watching everybody paint today and, and just talk, talk art. It was cool hanging out with Medusa too. So anyway, thanks. Thanks everybody. It really was, um, it was uh, just amazing experience. So thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Buddy. Uh, Amber, you want to go ahead and give us a quick sign off? 
Sure. I'm Amber Morgan, and you can find me on Instagram under Amber Morgan. Thank you very much, Jason, for having this every week. I'm very glad I got home in time to see it. Oh, you are more than welcome. I thank you for jo- jumping in today. Episode. I'm happy to hear that. Uh, Bruno, we'll go through. You're next. Yeah, man. Thanks, Jason, for hosting this consistently every week, man. It's, it's awesome. Uh, it means a lot what reinventing does for the community with Ricardo's show and your show. So thanks, man. Um, and thanks. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, everybody that works hard behind the scenes. And uh, yeah, my name is Bruno Salvatierra. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Prismas underscore art. And you can check out the studio Instagram, prismas.tattoo studio as well. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. And uh, can't wait for the next one. Can't wait to join in again and relax and paint a little bit, talk about art. Thank all you guys for being a part of it. Had a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Bruno. And um, I'll go through and spotlight myself. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. If you're still watching, um, this has been the Skill Building Sunday Drawing Group here at the Reinventing the Tattoo Network. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, go through, hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube or the podcast. And uh, make sure that you catch us next week for the next episode where we will be live from the Resurrection Island Tattoo Convention. Um, if you want to catch up with us tomorrow morning, I will be jumping into James Wisdom's Drawing for Tattooers at 9 a.m. Mondays, Eastern Time. Um, should be a, a great time, uh, as it always is. And uh, thank you, everyone, once again, for jumping in. You can always find me on Instagram at Philly Inc. Uh, P-H-I-L-L-Y-I-N-K on Instagram. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, as always, keep those hands moving. And um, yeah, I'll catch everyone.